All right, you're now tuned in to the follow through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 200. We hit that milestone. We have a special guest today, Matt Babcock from basketballnews.com. He's going to break down the whole NBA draft that is tomorrow on Thursday. Of course, we're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks winning the title, the parade, and everything that comes with it. And then we have our final thoughts. Drew has a rebuttal about his whole basketball situation. And again, we hit episode 200, people. It's the follow through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you're at. It is the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 200, guys. The milestone, the 200 milestone. I know there's a lot of people that have more podcasts than us, but 200. If that ain't consistency, I don't know what is. A lot of you guys might be new. Uh, You might have been with us since episode one, which I hope you weren't because those were so bad. Uh, But if you've been with us. Shout out to the people that have been with us since episode one. For those that keep coming back after that, that we we really appreciate you guys. Thanks, mom and dad, for being there for us (laughs) since episode one and two. yeah, man, what a big day. I'm, I'm super stoked for us. I want to talk about that a little later in the show. We have a really cool show for you guys today. Uh, we have our boy Matt Babcock coming on uh, from basketballnews.com to talk about this NBA draft tomorrow. But, you know, we, we, we haven't recorded since prior to game six. And I know this could be a little late for you guys, but, you know, Drew is in Hawaii. We've had a lot of other stuff going on, but um, we're back at it. And I kind of just want to, we got to give our props to the Milwaukee Bucks. They did pull it out. Um, I'm extremely happy for Giannis and that whole organization. And you'll, you'll get a, a better inside look coming into this interview that we have uh, on the next segment. But man, dude, what kind of energy was that? I kept saying, looking at Deer Country, Drew, and I'm like, <laughs> yo, I want to be there. Like, there is no way that they can use this game tonight. I'm a big believer in energy, and there's no way that you can have 80,000 people outside of your arena and not try to win this game. So what, what were your thoughts, man? Oh, my God. To see, to see the fans do it, right? Going from the bubble last year where the Lakers, my team, got to celebrate in front of 18 people. Loved it. <laughs> and then and then no parade or you know nothing n- nothing really happened for the Lakers as far as the celebration goes it's like the forgotten championship for it to turn around in, in one season the NBA getting it all done and then being able to have fans in the arena and then of course the massive gathering outside uh was was awesome I mean it, it was it, it felt like we were back to normal and I think that's something we've all been waiting for uh, of course you know, we're not necessarily back to normal yet, uh, but, you know, who knows when this shit's going to be normal again. Maybe this is normal now, but it was it was everything that you want a championship to be for for a fan base to be able to win their first championship in 50 years at home. You can see what it meant to the city. And it's crazy, dude. Like I was looking up the population of Milwaukee. It was it was awesome. Also, for me to be able to watch Game Six in Hawaii with my dad, which was really cool. My dad's a part of the main reason that I got into basketball, so it was really cool to have that moment with him. But we're watching, and all these people are outside. I'm like, man, how many how many people live in Milwaukee? And my and my dad was like, I don't know. It's got to be at least a couple million. I was like, yeah, maybe three. There's like six hundred thousand people. 
that live in Milwaukee total, more than 10% of the entire city was there in person, even though they all have televisions at home, which would have probably been a better viewing experience for them. It just shows the passion that these fan bases have. Um, and for a small market finals, the way that it worked out for Phoenix and Milwaukee, I think it delivered, you know, in, in incredible amount of uh, entertainment. And we saw one of the best finals performances in history out of Giannis, even though the beginning of that game was mm. about as, was, was about as bad <laughs> of, of first five minutes in a finals as I can recall. I knew from the gate, I'm like, oh, Drew ain't going to have a good game. He's definitely not having a good game tonight because, you know, when he's off, he's off. Right. Um, you're, you're and that was what was it? The first like seven minutes was like just horrific basketball. I think you and I were texting back and forth like, yo, this might be a long one. Right. Um, yeah. First team to 70 wins. <laughs> <laughs> but You're totally right. I mean, Giannis with the 50 piece, I, I really the, the two factors in the game for me were obviously Giannis's free throw shooting. Um, people, all the shit that Chris Paul talked in the beginning of the series and Giannis just comes out 17 of 19. And then, you know, I was, and this isn't me patting myself on the back, but you know, I did say that like, if, if, if Bobby Portis or one of these guys has a big game and Bobby had the biggest game of his career with 16 points. And, and I'm not saying he was the X factor, but he kind of was when you think about those 16 points were extremely important. Um, Drew didn't have a great game, but defensively he did well. Um, I was just so I got chills saying it, man. I was there was a point during the series where I'm like, I just really want Giannis to win it. And you could see after after the game's over and he puts on his hat and he just sits down and cries. It's so genuine, man. It's so genuine. And I think he's you know, his mom was wearing the, the hat that he was drafted in, which was so, so cool to me. And what sucked was his brother couldn't be there, right? His brother wasn't there because of COVID protocol. And he was a big part of the team. He'd been with the team all year. You know, he deserved to be there with the boys. But, uh, you know, and then I started thinking about how sad Chris Paul's got to feel, right? Like, it's it's got to be tough. That's got to be a hard pill to swallow. That's I don't see the, the Suns coming back and being there next year. I could be completely wrong. Uh, we didn't have them being there in the first place, right? Um, and they proved us wrong, but... What was your take on uh, on Chris Paul's exit with that? I think Chris played a great game. You know, uh, he was definitely the best player on the Suns for that game. So I think, you know, unfortunately for him, the way that the series goes, right, they start off up 2-0 and then they lose four in a row, right? So that's going to be there. And then, of course, game four where he has the shit game. That's going to be there. That's just going to be something that we remember for Chris Paul unless he's able to you know, make another run in the next year or two and wins one. I mean, it, it does feel like Chris, Chris Paul's career in a nutshell, this finals, if you, if you will, right? If you just look at what, everything that he's accomplished, he's an amazing player. Uh, I still think, you know, he definitely de deserves to be in the conversation for greatest point guard ever. Um, you know, I just, I, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that with his performance the way that it was, that Phoenix didn't provide him with any real help in this game. I mean, you know, Booker, 19 points, but it was not pretty. Eight of 22, um, you know, Aiton only 12 points, six rebounds. Bridges, 7.6 rebounds. Jay Crowder was, was pretty immense on the rebounds. He had 13 boards, 15 points. So at least Jay was there. Jay was playing his ass off. 
Cameron Payne stepped in a little bit, but he it did. was not nothing was happening for the guys that we knew that needed to step up and play big in this game. And and even still saying all that, they only lost by six whatever, yes, seven points, and were right in it at the at the end. I mean, when they cut that, I think it was to four points. They got it to four, and it was like shit. Okay, like we might actually have a little something here. And then you know the Bucks were able to pull away. Uh, I do think his performance in game six is very helpful for his legacy, right? If he had another really shit game, then that's the, you know, the biggest news story, but I do think Giannis won this game. And I think that's the story more than Chris Paul losing more than the Suns not being able to pull it out. It was Giannis who was, there was the the most dominant performance in a finals that I can remember since like peak Shaquille O'Neal. And that's something that people have brought up. I brought it up on the last one where we're seeing Giannis, you know, potentially being the modern day Shaquille O'Neal. I would have cried and got down on my hands and knees if Shaq ever went 17 for 19 from the free throw line. You know what I'm saying? And that's something that Shaq was never able to do. I mean, I'm sure Shaq had a couple of those games where it was like, Damn, Shaq's, you know, 10 for 17 from the line. And we're like, oh, my God, he's shooting 60%. But for Giannis to overcome the biggest mental hurdle, the way that he did in this game to close it out is remarkable. And I truly believe if he shoots the normal percentage that he has from the free throw line, I think the Suns probably win this game, right? I mean, because if you think about it, his normal performance, he got all his points the standard way he was doing everything offensively. He was massive defensively, but the, the reason, the reason he got to 50 was because he made all those free throws. And we assume when he shoots 19 free throws, he's probably going to make nine or 10, which drops him all the way down to, you know, 40 points, which is, you know, that's not <laughs> all the way down. Oh yeah. Right. 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 But you know, that to me was about as amazing a performance in a, in an area where we know he struggles as I can ever recall, as, especially in the moment for, for a closeout game to do something like that was tremendous. And it just, it just shows how much better he can get, right? And imagine him being able to shoot you know, 80% from the free throw line. You brought it up on the last one. If he can shoot 70% from the free throw line, it changes everything. He can average 45 points a game, honestly, in the regular season if he makes free throws like this. And we might have a season like that coming up. Now, we don't expect him to just go flip the switch based on one game and now be an 80% free throw shooter. But now you can see that it's there. And I think for him, mentally, seeing it go through the rim just and being confident with the free throws, you know, moving the pace a little bit more on his free throw shot and getting into that rhythm, I think, you know, it really, it really could be the next step for him as much as we know that he can improve his offensive game, if he can start making free throws like this, uh, I, the sky's the limit for this guy. I do think we could have our first 40-point-per-game guy uh, you know, sometime down the road here for this 27-year-old who's now reaching his peak. You know, I, I think it's a different story if they're in Phoenix and he's shooting those free throws too. Um, it was interesting, two things to what you just said. Bobby Portis was on Rosillo this morning or yesterday and Bobby Portis, they were talking about Giannis's free throws. And he's like, man, in, in practice that he's 80%, like he hits everything in practice. It's not that 
uh, he can't shoot free throws. And they say the same thing about Shaq too. Like Shaq shot really well in practice and practice is totally different than the real game, but he can do it. So, and I think it would have been different if they were in Phoenix with the countdown and how they were treating him and whatnot. So, and another thing is Bobby Porter said that there is 250,000 people at the parade. So when you think about if 10% of the population was at the That's game, almost half the city, that the whole city's at, you know, at the parade, which I think is, is pretty awesome. I want to bring something up about the parade. Do you have anything else? to say about the game drew i think booker knows what he has to improve now okay yeah and it's funny man because he's been labeled a shooter his whole career he is not a three-point shooter in the way that we consider shooters to be he's a 30 percent mid 30 percent three-point shooter and you can see it if he can stretch his game out confidently and start shooting consistently 40 percent from three the whole floor will open up because we know he likes to get into the mid range. We know he likes to get into the key, do those up and under moves that all that footwork that he worked on. He's light years ahead of a lot of guys of his age in that particular space. I, but he's way behind the ball as far as the level of three point shooting that we all assume that he has in him. And it was, yes, he had a bad game shooting, right? So there's that, right? He could have definitely made a couple of those threes and it wouldn't be as glaring of a, of a thing, right? He would go from, if he just made two, he'd go from 19 points to to 25 points in this game and has a much better performance. And Phoenix is even that much closer to potentially winning game six. But for me, that's something that Devin Booker has a good work ethic. And that is something that I think he will work on because I think once he, if, when he comes back from Tokyo (laughs) and takes a breather and decides to like reevaluate what just happened in, in the span of these months and the run that j- they just went on, the games where he was incredible were the games that he was able to knock down a couple threes because it just opens everything up. So if he can get to 40, you know, high 30s, low 40s in three-point shooting, I think, you know, he's going to be in these conversations for like potentially the best shooting guard in the NBA moving forward. And I, and I think he has plenty of time and, and enough work ethic to do it. But that's something I want to see out of him. Yeah, I think that's very attainable for him too to be a better three-point shooter. I think 40% is a it's a tall ask. Not a lot of people shoot 40%. If anybody could it'd be him. Uh he's very comfortable in the mid-range, the 17, the 18 footers 100%, but could he get better at shooting threes? Yes, he can. And and that's something that you could work on. And I think just like you said, off-season is when you work on stuff like that. So, um I mean his mid-range game is so nice. Look, I want to I want to talk about the uh, I want to get your opinion on something about the parade because something rubbed me the wrong way and okay. I don't know if I if first of all again I have no skin in this whatsoever and I don't want this to come out as me hating at all but whatever Brandon Jennings was doing at the parade okay f- for some reason it rubbed me the wrong way like yo. Why is Brandon Jennings in the parade and why is he in a Dotson in the back in the in the in the trunk of a Dotson with one other person slamming beers like this guy dropped 40 in the game? Like I understand you played for the Bucks. I like Brandon Jennings, okay? I've always I think he is nice, but I don't get it. I don't understand why Michael Ray I understand Kareem and Oscar being there, okay? You are legends, you are hanging in the rafters, you won the title with them. Did am, am I am I weird for thinking that what is the reason why Brandon Jennings is there slamming beers? Like, do, do you think he gets a ring? Like, what, what's the deal with this? No, I, I, I think it's funny. All right. I think it's funny. I think he is kind of a legend, though, right? I think he's the last Bucks player to score 50. Yeah, he did his rookie year. I get it. It's big. 
And so for that reason, to have Giannis do, go for 50 and, and Brandon Jennings being the last guy to go for 50, I'm pretty sure he's the last Bucks player. To, so you did, so you're in the parade, though? Like, come on, man. I think he's I do. I, I do think that he's kind of this cult, you okay. know, figure like, you know, the way that 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 you love Terrence Mann. Uh, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to remember that Terrence Mann game that he had that, you know, the whatever that 49 pointer, whatever the crazy fucking game that was. How many points did he score? 40, 39, 39. Yeah. You're going to remember that 39 point performance because you're a Clipper fan. And yeah. that was one of the biggest performances in the history of bench players in the playoffs. Now, look, are you going to ask him if you win a championship to show up and, and pound beers out of the back of a pickup truck? Probably not. But, you know, Brandon Jennings was a part of the culture. And I think if you remember, it helped the Bucks get some notoriety. He was a flashy player when he was first in that league. And his rookie season was pretty epic. I get what you're saying. I totally understand. But it's like, look, if the Lakers say the Lakers get their their parade this season, right? Say they, they and they're like, well, Sasha Vujacic's going to be in in the bed of a truck. And would you be OK with that? Slamming beers. Look, if I'm not invited on the bus. I don't want to be in the pickup truck following the bus. That's all I'm saying. I give you that. It's okay. definitely extra. There's. I'm not defending Brandon <laughs> Jennings being so extra. That's definitely what that was. But at the same time, you know, each sports team has these cult figures in their mm-hmm. history, and Brandon Jennings' career went the way that it did, and he w- he never really eclipsed that 50 point performance that he had his rookie season, and was never able to really be a consistent NBA player for very long. Um, but I mean, look, he was courtside for the game, so someone hooked him up with that. Definitely. And clearly he still has connections to the to the team or else he wouldn't have been able to be courtside and he probably wouldn't have been able to be, you know, the last car in the parade. Uh, but it, it, was, <laughs> it was interesting to see that. And I quit, I, when, I, when the clips were coming out, I couldn't really tell who it was. Mm-hmm. And then after, you know, more and more videos, I'm like, oh, shit, that's fucking, that's Brandon Jennings. So good for Brandon. He's not going to get a damn ring. No, uh, but I, I think he can celebrate just like any Bucks fan should be able to celebrate, although he got, you know, a little bit better treatment. Well, I think it I, I think it's attributed to he was and I'm throwing air quotes, the guy that quoted Bucks in six. He's the guy that made it. So I'm sure probably if Phoenix wins, Suns and four guy might get a pickup truck in the in the parade too. maybe might have happened. I- I just found it a little weird to me and I didn't want to post it on our page because I I thought about it and it was going to be posted, but then I didn't want to sound like a hater. I just found it really odd. I've never seen another, another team do that. Like I I get it though, you know? Yeah. I I thought it was, I thought it was strange as well. All right. So NBA draft is tomorrow. We're recording on Wednesday. We have a really great interview with our guy, Matt Babcock, uh, who knows this draft very, very well. Drew and I got to interview him this morning, and so we are going to tap into that interview. Enjoy. All right, so we are one day away from the NBA draft, and what better way than to have the draft whisperer on our show? We have our extended family from basketballnews.com, Matt Babcock, who knows the draft and these players much better than myself. Um, Matt, thank you for coming on and joining us today. No, thanks. Yeah, you know, it's a a big week for us. We we work year-round. Uh, for, for the draft and uh, you know it's, it's our Super Bowl so we're, we're excited it's here before we get into the draft you know I want to congratulate you and your family you are one of two people who I actually know that are that are Milwaukee Bucks fans so I want to give you a shout out and my boy Jared from season creator the, the creator of the best basketball in the game uh, congratulations your family and yourself have had ties to the Milwaukee Bucks forever 
Um, your dad played an intricate part in getting Giannis to to the team. Um, I kind of just want to get your feel, like what the vibe. You, I, I think you went to every single game as well, or you might have missed a couple. No, I didn't go to every game, but uh, I mean, I went to a lot. I, I went to a game in each series. Uh, took my son out there for one of the Brooklyn games. Uh, went to a couple of Hawks games, which actually my, my cousin was on staff of the Hawks. That was another interesting part of the narrative there. Sort sort of a dramatic uh, playoffs, uh, you know, for the Babcock family because the previous series. Uh, my cousin Nate played, you know, the Hawks played the Sixers, which his brother Chris was his director of player development. And then the Hawks and the Bucks had, go head to head. And then I, I went to three, three of the finals games, uh, two in Phoenix, one, one in Milwaukee. How sweet is it to, to get a championship? I mean, you get to see Giannis's progression from overseas, small gyms, you know, people really didn't know what kind of player this guy was to be, was going to be. And then now, you know, seven years later, we're looking at him as, you know, people are calling him the best player in the world. And now, you know, Milwaukee has a first championship in 50 years. Just what's the vibe. And, and uh, tell me, tell me about how you guys are feeling right now. I mean, we, we feel great. I mean, grow, growing up in a basketball family and um, you know, it, with that, you kind of, you, you go along with your, your dad's, you know, climbing up the ladder and we moved around a bunch and, uh, you know, we really feel like every job my dad's ever taken, we've taken it as a family. And so when, uh, you know, when he's had tough losses and he's had big wins, we're right there with him and, and, and kind of riding, riding that wave and uh, on, the, on the same emotional roller coaster. So to, to win it all, uh, our, our whole family is just thrilled. And uh, it was pretty neat. Um, it was the day of the parade. My, my mom and dad called uh, me and my son. My son's uh, five years old. And uh, they, they told us that uh, eventually the ring, uh, the championship ring will be passed down to us, which uh, I sort of assumed that was going to happen, but it was sort of nice to hear. You know? That's awesome. So I put, it, put it back back on my, my one of these shelves back here with all my other memorabilia. But uh, yeah, just just we're, we're all just really thrilled. So we had you on our show uh, right before draft last season. You had some really great predictions. Uh, I want to kind of get your take on how these players panned out for you. I know we had a couple questions about LaMelo and how he was going to fit in. You know, we didn't know much about Anthony Edwards and his shot selection. But what was your biggest take from seeing these players play in their first year? Well, I mean, with Edwards and Ball specifically, I mean, I, you know, I, I had a bunch of concerns. Uh, a lot of the NBA people did, too. And, and both players, credit, credit to them, they, they addressed them. Uh, both had terrific years. I think are on the on the fast track of being stars. I mean, um, you know, last year, you know, evaluating Ball and, and you know, in his film in, in Australia, you know, his lack of physicality, his effort on the defensive end. Uh, I thought his decision making was, was pretty suspect. You know, he he really addressed those things and got better. Uh, I, I still think he's got a lot of room for improvement uh, physically uh, as far as developing his body. But um, I mean, wow, what, what what a great rookie year! And then Anthony Edwards. Um, you know, I mean, he showed flashes last year. I mean, I, I was at his game in Maui where he scored 33 points in the second half against Michigan State. So, you know, seeing that, I mean, I saw that he had the talent and the potential. He just had to kind of clean up his decision making, you know, similar type issues as LaMelo Ball, more of just like maturing as a player. Uh, and he did. I mean, r- really kind of turned himself into the primary scorer there, you know, throughout the season. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about both guys. Another guy um, that really did a lot better than I thought he would was uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, and I like Tyrese. Um, I was a little concerned with his ability to be a primary point guard, lack of physicality. And I thought he got into a great spot with Sacramento where they didn't depend on him to be the be the guy. Uh, he can play alongside De'Aaron Fox. And um, I mean, he, he did really well. I mean, so th- those guys are three guys that jump out that, that really, um, you know, really impressed me. You know, one thing that 
was tough for you last year and that we were talking about was like everything that was going on with COVID and how hard it was for scouts and people to actually get a look at these guys and interview these guys. You had so many hoops you had to go through just to, you know, make your picks and, and for GMs to figure out what players they want to take. Has things kind of changed this season, like going into the draft process for you guys, even though we're still in this COVID protocol era? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a weird scouting year. Uh, I mean, you know, with Derek Murray and I, we, we got after it pretty good. I mean, we, we didn't have to deal with much red tape and we got credentialed to college games. And I mean, we were, we were picking and choosing, you know, how often we were getting on, on planes. And as the year went on, we, we got on on more and more and more. Uh, whereas, you know, NBA, a lot of NBA teams didn't scout, you know, even local games where they were driving. And so, um, you know, I think we were able to get ahead of things pr- pretty good. Uh, and, 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 you know, we, we do know this draft really well. Uh, and I think the NBA teams have caught up, but it, it definitely has not been a traditional scouting year. Going into this year's draft, um, I kind of just want to get your whole overview. I think, I mean, Detroit came out today and said Cade's probably going to be the number one pick, which, you know, up until yesterday, I, I wouldn't be shocked if another guy went number one, but Cade's going to go number one, they're saying. Um, as far as one through five goes, I think it could be a toss up. I have your picks in front of me, but. F- What's your overall take on this draft, on the talent level? Like, who are the guys that, that are, are standing out to you right now? Uh, I mean, I like the top part of this draft a lot. Uh, I think, you know, as we've all done, done more and more homework, uh, you know, the cream has risen to the, 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 the top uh, with Cade, uh, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Green. Um, and so I think those are the clear-cut th- top three. I think there's another handful of guys that, that are all really good players too. Uh, and I like the first round uh, overall. I think the depth of the first round is great. Uh, which, which will probably bleed into the early part of the second round. I do think there's a drop-off. The, the depth of this draft in the second round, um, I, I don't think is great. Part, part of that is so many international players pulled, pulled their names out of the draft. So there, there's not many draft and stash options. Um, and, and so I think it's really affected the depth. Uh, but you know, overall, I, I like this draft. I, I will say I think next year's draft is going to be even better. So I know this is an, this is an interesting draft as well because this is the first like ignite like the g league option guys and i'm curious how difficult or easy was it to evaluate those guys versus the traditional college or overseas options uh going into this draft you know it was a little rough at first we didn't know what to expect obviously i mean a huge curveball thrown at at, uh at sharif and and rod strickland those guys the g league because I mean, with the pandemic, we weren't sure what kind of access we were going to get at all. Uh, they ended up turning around, and, and I thought it was great. The you know the, the, the bubble that they put together was was perfect, um, and uh, you know the film that came out of that was great. So I mean, I, for for myself personally, uh, I feel like I've got a great grip on those guys. Uh, it, it did help that I, I do cover high school, and so I knew all of those players uh, at least a little bit uh, before going into the season. Uh, you, know, it, you know, for people that are being critical on the G League Ignite this past past year, I, I don't think it's fair. I think next year, let's just see how, how things go. Uh, I, I do like it as an option for some of these guys. And then really, I think what's happening as far as I can tell, I mean, it does seem like like we have these tiers each year. There seems to be at least a couple guys that start to separate themselves. And and the, th- the three guys that you mentioned, Cade, Jalen and Evan, Jalen and Evan seem to be kind of flip flopping between two and three. Uh, I'm curious, you know, when you make these mock drafts, uh, I'm sure you do a a variance of both of these things, but are you, when you, when you put yours out, is it more like where you expect the player to be drafted by that team? Or is it more about ranking those guys as, as far as level uh, of talent where you would be, you know, having them if you were drafting them? 
Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question. So what, what we do is uh, throughout throughout the season, we have a, a big board, which is, is simply rankings. It's our own personal rankings. I, I make the decisions on the rankings. Um, my staff helps me helps me do it. Uh, and then uh, once uh, once the regular season ends, we, we, we convert it into a mock draft. And uh, pretty much until you know, a week or two leading up to the draft, we, we have it mostly be our own picks. We put ourselves, I put myself in the shoes of the general manager of that team. And I, and I, I pick, you know, the player that I would take. Uh, and then we gradually shift it to more uh, projecting the picks. So the, the mock draft you see now uh, is, is us projecting the picks. Okay. So that, that makes sense to me as well. Um, and then, so at this point, I mean, I think I have the most updated one. I know you guys update these a lot, but Jalen Green seems to be like the option that you expect Houston to take. I've been hearing that as well, you know, from other sources on Fox, ESPN, all this stuff. So you guys are right on the money as far as uh, what that expectation looks like. Do you think perhaps that might be because of Christian Wood? Is that why maybe Houston is shying away from drafting an Evan Mobley, who I think might be the better player between the two? Yeah, I, I do. I do think so. I mean, it, it's totally a preference type thing. I, I would take Evan Mobley if it were me. And to be perfectly honest, I, I would look hard at Evan Mobley at number one. Um, and so with Houston, you know, it's uh, it's known to be a very analytics driven uh, front office. Um, and so, you know, one one common you know, narrative among analytics people is, uh, you know, big men don't serve quite as much value as perimeter players. And so I, I'm assuming that's part of, of what they're discussing is hey, Jalen Green's a dynamic offensive player uh, that's on the perimeter. You know, that, that's the guy we need instead of Mobley. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's not a, it wouldn't be a horrible pick. I mean, Jalen Green's right there. That's a, he's a he's a big time talent. Right. And I also think there's a chance that, you know, with how well Kevin Porter Jr. did in the G League last year and then having those kind of electric scoring games in the back end of the regular the regular NBA season, maybe they're like, well, hey, if this guy's doing that good in the G League, maybe let's just grab another one and see what we got. Sure. Um, one other guy that that I'm sure has been a lot of, you know, relatively recent talking points for you is Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. You know, didn't necessarily seem like he was going to be going this high at the beginning of the year. Certainly has climbed up. And obviously, the it, I think the the tangibles, right, his height, his size, his length, his ability to, to uh, dribble the ball and also defend a lot of positions. He's really seemed to me, I mean, I could be off here, but it seems like he's really kind of skyrocketed up the, the draft uh, board here. What do you think what, what is it about him that, that makes him so intriguing for a team like right now you have him going to potentially the, the fourth spot to the, to the Raptors? Well, you know, Scotty Barnes is so versatile. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say he's necessarily skyrocketed. He's just kind of broken through that what, what felt like a, a barrier nobody can get through as far as getting, getting in where Kaminga was. I mean, Kaminga was, was thought to be a top five pick, um, you know, all, all year. Uh, so Barnes has kind of snuck in there. Um, and, and I think, you know, his tools are, are definitely the biggest part of it. I mean, he's, he's big, he's long, he's athletic. He can defend multiple positions. He can handle the ball. He's a good playmaker. The outside shooting is a little suspect. Uh, but I think one thing that, that people are missing is, is the kid's personality. He's the type of kid you want on your team. He's a total win, winner, uh, just great team guy. Uh, I remember this was two or three years ago and I was uh, in Colorado Springs at the USA basketball event and, and Scotty was there. I never met Scotty. I mean, I, I'd seen him play and he's a big name recruit and all that. And he comes up to me and gives me a big bear hug. And say, hey, I, hey, I'm Scotty. And uh, it's nice to meet you, man. Thanks for coming to watch me. And he's just got that kind of infectious personality, you know, and it's just got guy you want in your locker room, you want on your team and that you, you, you're, you're going to root for. Uh, I, I'm, I'm certain he'll be a fan favorite wherever he goes. And um, you know, I, I think that's probably a big part of why teams are, are really liking him and they, they, they just, they, they want him around. 
do you think that he has the the ball handling skills to actually run point in the NBA? I know that he's so big and he might be able to protect the ball, but I know that was a new position for him this year, right? Yeah, I mean, Leonard Hamilton used him as a point guard on both ends of the ball. I, I can't say that I, I would use him that way. Uh, he definitely handles the ball well enough, and he's a great passer. I, I think he's going to be more of a 3-4 point forward. Uh, I think he'll be better on, on both ends of the ball. I think it'll take a little pressure off of him having to go against quick little guys, uh, bringing the ball up. And also defensively, they had him playing on ball with, with point guards, which, I, I you know, he's a big guy. I think it, it put him a little bit at a disadvantage. I like him more as a, as a forward that's switchable. Um, but, yeah, no, he, he definitely you – know, his playmaking, ball handling uh, are definitely key attributes to, you know, to his game. So uh, last season your sleeper was Malachi Flynn. Um, and then do you – we talked about – every time we mentioned Malachi, we brought you up, Matt, just to let you know. <laughs> no, we're like, oh, Babcock called it. Babcock <laughs> called it. Uh, who's your guy this year? Who's your sleeper? Who's your guy you think we should, we should be watching, looking out for? You know, I mean, if this were a few months ago, I'd have a few names. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys that we, we pegged as being the sleepers have come around and it seems like they're going to be drafted in good spots. Um, I mean, Chris Duarte, for, for one. I mean, you know, me living in, in Colorado, I, I go up to the Boulder and catch a lot of Pac-12 games. I go to Arizona, the same thing. And so I, I've been able to see Oregon a lot. And so I, I got a head on Chris Duarte. And I mean, it's looking like he's going to be a lottery pick. Uh, and so that, that's one name that I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of taking you know, pride in, in uh, you know, my evaluation of him initially, Sim similar to how I did last year with Malachi Flynn or Isaiah Stewart. Uh, I'm trying to think of other guys. I will credit uh, Derek Murray on, uh, on, on Trey Murphy. Uh, he got ahead on Trey at Virginia. A really interesting story. He, uh, you know, not, not recruited highly out of high school, went to Rice uh, for two years and then transferred to Virginia for his junior year. And, I mean, he's looking at like a guy that could be a mid-first-round pick. And so th those are two guys that come, come to mind as far as we, uh, we, we, got, we got ahead on, on those guys. I know that this, this one center, uh, I believe he's from Turkey, Al Alperin Sengun. I, I, I got to know how to say his name because this is – Right now, it sounds like you have him going to the Spurs, which I think is such a classic Spurs draft. <laughs> he's 18, too, right? He's 18. All right. All right. Yeah, no, he's young. And, uh, you know, I believe you're saying it right. Alperin Sengun. Um, he, he's an interesting one. He's 18 years old and, I mean, really just tore up the Turkish League, which is a very credible professional league. And so an 18-year-old playing in a good league with a bunch of grown men, uh, I mean, and he just produced at a super high level. The problem is he's, you know, he's a 6'9", 6'10", back to the basket score, kind of a throwback. Uh, you know, my friend Fran Fischilla, uh compared him to uh, Luis Scola. Um, you know, just a guy, you know, doesn't, doesn't blow you away with athleticism or, 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 you know, any specific you know part of his game, but he just, he gets it done. You know, he, he finds a way of putting the ball in the hole and he competes. Um, I, I don't know if he fits, you know, perfectly in today's game, uh, but you just can't deny the production and that the kid, the kids, uh, the kid's a player. And he's really, you know, seemingly ch chipped away at everybody, including myself. And it's looking like a guy that, that has got a good chance of going in the lottery. That sounds like uh, he'll be around for 20 years if he's like Scola, right? He's got that right. old man game right. where he's just going to play. Exactly. For Matt, we made a joke a couple of weeks ago going into the Olympics. I'm, I'm like, you know, I was joking that Louis Scola is going to be playing in his 17th Olympics. And then it turns out he's actually playing in the Olympics again. What a career for that guy, huh? No, it's incredible. I mean, it's, uh, you know, day, day one in the league as a young guy, he wasn't very athletic. He's still got the same game. I mean, I guess he's uh, there's something to it where, you know, a guy that doesn't have to depend on athleticism. With the international um, players, I know we just talked about one. Is there another one that we should be looking out for, um, you know, in the first draft or if, excuse me, the first round or even, you know, potentially in the second round? I know you said a, a lot of recently kind of taken their name out of the draft, 
but is there a few in there that we should really kind of keep our ears uh, and eyes out for? Yeah, Josh Giddy for sure from Australia. I mean, he's uh, all year. He, he's similar to Sengun, has just chipped away at everybody. He's moved up, you know, gradually moved up. And it's looking like he's not even getting out of the top 10 now. Um, you know, Memphis and New Orleans just did a trade yesterday, uh, exchanging 10 for 17. So Memphis is at 10. And it's been rumored that uh, they're, they're on the hunt for, for Giddy. Um, I, I think they, they need to watch out for the seventh pick uh, for Giddy. I'd heard Golden State is interested in Giddy. I, I'm probably going to switch around our mock draft to have Kaminga go there. Um, and so I do think there's a chance that, that Giddy does get the 10. Uh, but yeah, Giddy's definitely one to watch out for. It seems like I, this is just going off of what I've heard from him. I've only seen some clips. I haven't, I haven't like really watched an entire game. But is it, it, it seems like a little bit of flavor similar to LaMelo Ball, similar size. Is, it, is that kind of like the, the game that he plays, a little bit more point guard, flashy passing? Yeah, sure. I mean, he's, I don't think he's as flashy as LaMelo, uh, but yeah, he's a six, seven, six, eight. They played him at point guard this year. I think long-term he's going to be a guy that's just sort of plays a bunch of different roles. One, two, three. Uh, he's ambidextrous, just a competitor, but both of his parents were, were pro players in Australia. So he grew up around the game. I, I really like him a lot. I had a chance to interview him a few months back and, and it's funny uh, for game. Uh, what was it? Game five in Phoenix. I took our CEO of basketball news, Scott Hill to the game and we walked in and uh, the first people we saw were, both of Giannis's agents with, with Octagon, uh, uh, two Greek guys. And so I talked to them and then right behind them was Daniel Moldovan, Australian agent for Octagon with Josh Giddy. And so we, we had a chance to talk to all those guys and, and meet Josh in person. And what, what a great kid. Well, so going off of that, Giannis has so many brothers. His youngest is, is actually getting some talk right now. Are we expecting potentially for him to, his name to be called on Thursday? Um, you know, I, I don't expect him to be drafted. Of course, I'm rooting for that whole family. And it's uh, a funny story. When, when Giannis was first drafted, um, my, my dad was helping Giannis figure out which, which high school have his, his brothers go to. And uh, since I, I went to high school in, in Milwaukee for a few years, played at Shorewood High School, and one of our competitors was Dominican High School. And so all of his brothers ended up at Dominican because my, my dad uh, you know, referred it to, to Giannis. So it's sort of, sort of a funny, <laughs> funny, funny story. So, but we, we don't necessarily think that uh, he might be ready for the draft, you know, as far as, you know, being being in the first or second round. Maybe does he go undrafted in your opinion? Uh, yeah, my expectation would probably go undrafted. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on a summer league, summer league roster. Maybe somebody gives him some, you know, uh, you know, exhibit 10, something like that. Uh, that, that. That would be my expectation. Matt, we really appreciate you hopping on here, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to finally meeting you and, and the rest of our basketball news crew in Vegas uh, don't be shocked if I'm attached at your hip. Cause I want to learn from, from guys like you. So, uh, hopefully I don't annoy you too much, but I'm looking forward to seeing you and, and we appreciate you taking the time. We know how valuable your time is right now. So thank you very much. And, uh, look forward to seeing you, man. No, thanks guys. Always a pleasure talking to you guys and I'll see you in Vegas. All right. Awesome interview from Matt Babcock. We appreciate his time. Uh, hopefully you guys gained some knowledge from that. Uh, Drew, we got to get into final thoughts. Uh, I know you've, you've been away. You've been able to, to meditate on your thoughts in, in Hawaii. Uh, you got, what do you got for us this week? So my final thoughts is Chris Paul's way of playing going to be dead after him. And what I mean by this is that we know, you know, he had a, a, a great run, the greatest run of his postseason career just now at 36, something he's never been able to do before this. And there's still a potential that he can, you know, do something else in his career in the next couple of years and, and maybe make it back and potentially win a championship, maybe with Phoenix, maybe with another team. But it really is a question, like when he retires, is the point guard, you know, the floor general, 
the, the, the traditional point guard that we used to see with the Stocktons and Isaiahs and that nature, is that, is that dead? Is there going to be somebody that can come in and play that way? What do you think? I'm very adamant, and I've said this so many times. I think Chris Paul is the last of a dying breed. I think he's the last of the true pure point guard. Those guys that you just mentioned, Isaiah and and John Stockton and Chris Paul, are both are all three in our top five of point guards all time. That's why the category of point guard when we discussed our top five was those were factors that are in on that. I don't think Steph Curry is a floor general and does what, what Chris Paul does, right? That's why Steph Curry wasn't in my time. It's not a, I get it. He's the, 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 you know, probably the best player to play that position, but to be a true pure point guard, um, it takes way more than that. And you're totally right, Drew. I think it dies with Chris Paul because that's not the cool thing anymore. What we need to be doing is putting up 40 a game and shooting threes and, you know, getting to the free, even though Chris Paul, I mean, there's, he's, he's created these new moves to get the smaller guys to the free throw line, which unfortunately are going to die with him moving into next season, the Trey young backup, uh, you know, to draw the contact. That's a Chris Paul move. Um, so, yeah, I think it's sad. We, but the other thing is, is we have this new breed of these guys, you know, with the Trey Youngs and with the Lucas and with with these guys that are bringing a whole new element to the point guard position. Um, floor generals are tough too, Drew. Like, can you name another floor general like besides LeBron? Like, would you would you classify Luca as a floor general? I don't think so, because in order to be a floor general, you have to have soldiers that follow your lead. Right. And what you think is going to be the best case scenario for your team to put you in the best scenario for your team to win. Right. And I think I don't see that with Trey yet. Right. And these guys are young, young guys. We're seeing that he started, he, he's starting to get there. Trey's starting to potentially go that route. You right. Saw Bel- this postseason. Right. Believing in your team and understanding that it takes way more. Like I saw an interview with Kevin Garnett today when he was younger talking to Ahmad Rashad. And he said, the one thing that Sam Mitchell taught him was it doesn't start with one person that like, and obviously it's a cliche saying a lot of people say it, but it's not you. It's, it's everybody else, right? There's a floor general for you. Not necessarily, not necessarily um, from the point guard position, but Kevin Garnett led by example and people followed him. Right. So you also have to get your teammates to buy in. Right. And I think there's a disconnect with Luca, obviously with Porzingis and with some other players on the team that maybe fully haven't bought in. I think Atlanta bought in with Trey, they're going to buy in more. And also you have to keep, look, we saw it with Chris Paul when he got traded to Phoenix. The first thing that he did was go work. The second day he got there, him and Booker were working out. He realized that like the only way this shit's going to work is if me and my other superstar are going to work together, right? And then getting Jay Crowder on the horn saying, hey, bro, we need a guy like you here. We need a dog. Don't get me into dogs and PJ Tucker's talk because that shit was just hilarious. But <laughs> And I don't mean to take over your final thought, but I, I agree with you. I think it's I would like to see it live on through some through more of these players. But I, I think it dies with Chris Paul once he leaves. Well, so then it led me to, to thinking who, who could potentially turn into this guy? Is there somebody that we don't know? Is there is there a player that's coming in from these drafts, a player that's coming up from high school that we don't know yet that could potentially? And I do think, you know, it, skilled players are always going to be valued in the NBA. But, you know, we're seeing the zero guard, like the Damian Lillard, Steph Curry type that we're talking about. That's really 
in, uh, unfortunately, the system, the, the AAU and high school system dictates that you have to be able to score in order to get scholarships, in order to get drafted as a point guard. And so I think the system is failing the guys that might potentially be the ones that are going, hey, I want to be Chris Paul. I want to be the Steve Nash. I want to be pass first. I want to be setting up the flow of the offense and making everyone around me better. And it potentially could be ruining those 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 players from turning into that and forcing them to to play more like a, a Damian Lillard or a Steph Curry or a Trey Young or Luca and things like that, because that's what everyone wants. Right. But there is a couple guys that, you know, I, I did want to potentially throw out there as maybe taking the reins for Chris Paul. Not quite yet, but Shea Gilgis Alexander is one that I thought of. That's a guy who really does seem like a floor general at times. He's a guy that does seem like he wants to set the thing up, set, set the table for his team. Uh, and then the Ball brothers, Lonzo and Lamelo. I think those two guys have potentially, you know, a path to go this Chris Paul route. Now Lonzo has to become a much more skilled offensive player for him to be as effective as Chris Paul. I think Lamelo is just going to have to rein some shit in. He's going to have to like kind of calm himself down, which may happen. I mean, he's only played one year in the NBA, but I do think those three guys potentially, you know, and then I do think there's going to be others out there. You know, who, who knows what Jalen Suggs is going to turn into. Maybe he turns into the, the, you know, the setter up or the guy who the quarterback, which he was a quarterback in, in high school. Maybe he, he becomes that for whatever team drafts him, but it is going to be interesting. It's something I'll be, I'll be tracking for sure. And it, and it will be a moment where we go, we got one, right? If it happens, we're going to go this guy and he's going to get a lot of notoriety, whoever it is. If it's one of those three guys I mentioned, if it's five years from now, somebody that we don't even know who's in middle school <laughs> uh, that comes into the NBA and, and starts lighting it up like this. But needless to say, if, if there is a guy that can do it, his, he, he will be appreciated in this NBA. And, and it will be all of this, oh, man, I remember Chris Paul. I remember John Stockton. I remember Steve Nash when that player comes out. I hope it does because – you need team play in order to succeed, right? There's only so many games that Giannis is going to be able to go for 50 and win you a game. And, and Middleton was, you know, fine. And Drew Holiday was terrible, right? You, you need those, you know, everyone to be on the same level. And, and I do think there's so much value in having a point guard, a true point guard, even though they're, they're a dying breed. He's, uh, that was, that's all I had to say was, was I, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but it seems like it might be the last point guard that we see. Look, being a floor general is a it's a it's a um, it's a position that not everybody can play. And like, you know, Isaiah Thomas before Chris being compared to Isaiah Thomas is a is an honor. Right. And if you're a point guard and you ever get compared to Chris Paul, it's an honor. And if I was a coach or if anybody listens to anything I say, if I'm a point guard, I would if I have a point guard, I'm telling them to watch film on Chris Paul and how he plays the position. I wouldn't tell them to watch Steph Curry play the point point guard position, right? If you're trying to be a point guard. And again, that's not, that's not a, a slight on Steph Curry, but like watch St uh, John Stockton set screens, right? Like watch, uh, you know, watch the pick and roll with Malone and Stockton, watch Steve Nash, get everybody involved, watch Steve Nash, look for the corner three on every single time he draws a double team, you know? Um, so being compared to Chris Paul, once, if there is a guy and in, 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 uh, SGA is a Chris Paul, uh, trainee, you know what I mean? Like he got to see him for a minute. So you're right, Drew. I hope there is a guy like that too. And I would love to be compared to Chris Paul if I'm a point guard. Um, 
moving forward, I, I, I got to say I have my final thoughts, but we had an interesting uh, answer to your final thought last week with your tangent on the basketball, the, oh, the, the international basketball. We had a few people hit me up, but my boy Mike Dorsey, okay, uh, who listens to our show, he's a big fan. He comments all the time. We used to work out together a lot. Uh, he literally played in Japan for 20 years, all right? He would he would have milked it until he was fifty. He milked the last three, <laughs> and I know if you're listening to me, Mikey, you know you milked those last three because I think he's 40, 43, 42, something like that. Put it this way: Dorsey was a camp counselor at one of my camps, right wow. in, in Northridge, right when I he's was. A, he's the Luis Scola of the Japanese league. <laughs> That's what he is, and he'll still give you buckets. But he hit me up. He said, "Man, just listen to the pod." out on the golf course and drew your take on the ball had me dying. Please don't get offended, but that was the most American thing you ever said. It's international basketball homeboy. There's nothing wrong with that ball. Ian knows Ian's my government name guys. If you guys didn't know, uh, when we used to work out together, we were dropping it in the hole smooth. The only people who use the NBA ball are the people in the NBA. They don't hoop it, hoop with it on any other level in the in in the U.S. It's the typical American take, though. A ball is a ball. Put it in the hole, boys. So, I like that. And again, I mean, what the, the point that I was trying to make wasn't that it needs to change. It was amazing to me that it ever got to that to that decision. I just, I was just trying to understand the original decision of somebody created the ball. Somebody created it 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I don't know, but there was a decision to move away from the NBA ball. And I was just curious about that because it doesn't happen in any other sport as every other sport has the same bucket ball. You know, it's, it's not like when, when we go play international baseball, they go, look at this different baseball we have. It's the same fucking baseball. I, that's all I'm saying. I agree. I still, I still don't want to make it an excuse. We, we you know, fucking Team USA loses to France, and certainly, I bet they might be going. If we had a Spalding basketball, we would be shooting better, um, you know. But hey, play with the ball that's in your hands. We have the best talent out there. We should be able to shoot and score. But it is, it's a, it's a weird thing. Yeah, at least you have to admit it. It's at least weird. Hey, France is nice too, bro. Let me just say, Evan Fournier in international hoops is a fucking hooper, bro. Evan Fournier <laughs> versus Luka Doncic, best player in the world right now. Hey, my final thoughts is, uh, and this isn't a Clipper take, Drew. I think episode 200 um, is going to be our first one that's not going to be a Clipper take. Uh, I know Drew is shocked right now. What? Jo- no, dude, because I got something more important to say. All right. And the important thing I want to say, dude, is this is episode 200, man. And this is the wrap on our fourth season doing this show. And to get to 200 episodes, to do 200 of anything, to bowl 200 times, to golf 200 times, to go on a date with a girl 200 times, like it's a lot. And sometimes I tell Drew this sometimes it's sometimes you want to get a pat on the back and be like, yo, you guys are doing, you're doing a great job. I wish everybody understood how much time and effort and energy quoting Mark Jackson goes into doing this show. And we've learned so much over these past four seasons and we've met so many amazing people. Our colleagues are people that we admire and that we look up to. And now they're friends of ours who are, you know, Matt Babcock hopping on our show. These are really well-respected people. We're with you know, a reputable organization in basketballnews.com where we've got to meet and learn and grow and they're helping us grow. And we just come so far, man. And I'm so happy for us 
because we are getting up there. We are in the top 1% of the world of 2.4 million podcasts in the world. We're in the top 1%. And like we, we joke about all the time, we started this as a, a hobby because our friends thought that we should do it. We have good voices and we know basketball. And it started as, you know, a six pack and a couple shots with gold net basketball. And we turn on our mics and, and we were so bad. And we've gotten to this position where people all over the world are listening to us and they're buying our t-shirts. And we just appreciate everybody that fucks with us, man. And, and I mean that we wouldn't be in this position. We wouldn't do this and spend all of this time if we didn't want to do it for you guys. And that's what we do it for building this community. And we appreciate you guys heavy. And we promise you that we're going to keep doing this as long as possible. So tell a friend, tell your mom, tell whoever you can that clips and drew do it for the culture. Cause that's what we do it for. We're just two hoopers that love basketball. And you've been with us on this, this ride with us, man. And we're not going to stop anytime soon. So we appreciate you. Absolutely. I, I, I stamp that. That's that's 100% for me as well. I, it still, it's still very surreal that there's people that listen to us. <laughs> it's surreal. I mean, look, I, we, we know what we're talking about. I don't think, I mean, every once in a while we, we, uh, we fuck up, right. Just like anybody, if we're, if we're going to be making predictions and we'll be calling certain things, we're going to get stuff wrong, but really it isn't about the right and wrong. It's, it's, it's about this journey that we've been on, man. And, and I, I'm just, it, it blows me away when I sit back and I go, man, we started this shit, you know, <laughs> out of thin air. And here we are at with basketballnews.com and, you know, rubbing elbows with former NBA all-stars and champions and fantastic writers and, uh, you know, podcasters. Uh, we're just, I'm blown away. And it really does come down to the, this very much, this fact for me. It's, we love this shit, man. We absolutely love this shit. I think that translates into the podcast that we produce. Uh, I think it translates to the people that we interview and, you know, hopefully it translates to these listeners. And we, I just, it, it, it's amazing. Um, I thank every single person that's ever subscribed, ever listened to 15 minutes and turned it off, uh, ever told us that we were great, ever told us that we suck. All those people that's cared enough or given a shit enough to, to interject and comment and anything that we've, that we've done. I just, it blows me away. And I just, the support is overwhelming. Uh, so, you know, and thanks to you, buddy, we're doing this shit. You and me, man, we're doing, we're, we're doing this. And the Clippers got to a Western conference finals. Look Damn at that. you. I know we did in our lifetime. We're going to win one that. too, bro. We're going to forget. So on that note, Hey, buy our t-shirts. We got t-shirts that are out <laughs> a really dope character t-shirt of drew and i it's our it's our staple right now people have been dming wanting them we're, we're going to make an order here on thursday so everybody can get one uh we'd appreciate a review uh, a rate you know let us know send us a dm and say hey bro you guys are fucking killing it i want a t-shirt and again we appreciate you we're going to come back uh this week we have a lot of traits that we got dame lillard and bradley beal and chris paul and what are the clippers and the lakers going to be doing moving forward going into this next season so we have a lot to talk about coming in the up. draft we got draft on Thursday. We got the draft. We got that coming up. We'll see how Babcock's picks uh, hold up. I still think there's going to be a big trade going into the draft. I, I, I think Golden State's going to do something. I'm really curious to see what happens. So um, you guys know what it is. Episode 200 is the follow through with Clips and Drew and we are Ghosts.